Ladies and gentlemen, this is FM 91. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, Auburn's premier home for student-run radio since 1971. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside my color man, Davis Carroll, and the incomparable Daniel Locke joining us today. We'd like to welcome in our listeners and viewers from across the Auburn Opelika Megaplex and around the world, however you may be tuning in today, whether that be on your terrestrial radio antenna through the information superhighway at WEGLFM.com or by listening to our podcast after the fact, wherever you get your podcast. We are happy to have you in the booth with us for Auburn's only student-run morning drive time show. And now, of course, as always, we are broadcasting live from the Bradley Basin WEGL studios here on the campus of Auburn University, where it is a, you know, a nice sunny 64 degrees outside this Thursday morning. We are wishing you a wonderful rest of your week as we get on with the show. Welcome to Thursday and good morning as we get on with the show. Davis, how are you feeling about this week so far and this weekend ahead? I'm feeling pretty good. Had a good week so far. A little tired today. Got three classes. I think I can get through them, though, because tomorrow got one class. We're making a big trek, so looking forward to it. Off to the races will we be tomorrow uh, traveling Seemingly halfway across the country with the amount of time we'll be in the car. But um, that's a story for another day. So we will jump on over to Mr. Daniel Locke. How are you feeling about the prospects of this week and looking ahead to the weekend? You know, I'm kind of with Davis. It's been a long week. I've had a few tests, um, a lot of class, a lot of classwork, feeling a little tired. But this is going to be the first weekend as an Auburn student where I'm not headed to a football game. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Mm, Interesting. Those are good weekends. I'm not going to lie. My freshman year, when you had the ones you didn't have to worry about, all the game day traffic during the middle of football season, they were nice. They were nice. Cherish those. And then you just get back to football. Oh, you have a bye week next week, right? Yes. So you got two weeks of it, and then you'll be back to football. I just, I have, I'm not a big fan of game day traffic. So maybe that's just me speaking cynically, but. I get everybody has to come to the game, but I don't know why everybody has to park in my apartment complex. Fair enough. It's a great location. That's why. That's what real estate's all about. Fair. Location, location, location. All right. So at this point, I would like to remind our audience that if any point during these next two hours we're hanging out together, you would like to ask us a question, drop us a hot take, or in the highly unlikely event that we get something wrong, if you want to correct us, you can go ahead and do so at 334-844-WEGL. That's our phone number, 334-844-9345. You can also send us a tweet at CDISCAU. That is at C-D-I-S-C-A-U. And I'm looking at the Twitter feed right now, so I will be able to get back to you with any concerns you have or any opinions you would like to have on the show. We uh, enjoy Harrison's interactions with the show very much, so continue to interact with the show and, you know, if you're out there listening and have something you'd like to say, we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and tweet at us at C-D-I-S-C-A-U, uh, whether you're listening live or to the podcast. Uh, that'd be an awesome thing you could do this fine Thursday morning. All right, well, let's jump right into, uh, we'll do sports to start off the show today. 
we have no baseball last night. It was a weird feeling. I mean, probably the first day in uh, since April there has been no baseball on. So we are uh, we are waiting with bated breath to see who will be the other team to participate in the National League Championship Series as Los Angeles will be taking on San Francisco in uh, the potentially very chilly Oracle Park tonight. That one's going to be first pitch, 8.07 p.m. on TBS. So it's going to be Julio Urias on the bump for the Dodgers and Blue, and you'll have Logan Webb on the bump for the Giants of San Francisco. Um, tickets as low as $145, so hot commodity out there in the Bay Area, so everything's a little bit more expensive out west. We, uh, I mean, this is the only unresolved playoff series, so we'll talk about this one, and then we can, uh, we'll get Daniel's take on what has transpired so far in the playoffs, as his, he has a vested stake in, uh, what, what's happening over on the American League side of the bracket. How do we feel about, uh, LA versus San Francisco Tonight, um, I kind of think we all had a feeling this series would go to five once these teams, after we saw how closely these teams were matching up in the regular season, and then they meet in the playoffs for the first time ever, and they're, you know, only step, they were battling for the division all year long, and now they're going to be battling for the final, final four spot, if you will, in the MLB. So, what does a rivalry game play into in the playoffs and what do two extremely talented teams how how do you manage your talent level after expending so much of it in game four what is uh what's the strategy for both of these teams coming up tonight at 8 p.m so in my opinion you know biggest game of the year against your biggest rival you can't leave any stone unturned you've got to be firing from the very get-go i know they're tired but they've had a day of rest and it's not as big of a travel day as most are, so you've really got to you've got to put it all out there if you're either team, because this is your whole season. Your 107 wins or 106 wins, like th- that could all be nothing after tonight. So you really got to go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dodgers had a 48 and 33 record on the road during the regular season. San Francisco had a 54 and 27 record. In their home park. I think you can throw all of that out the window, though, because this one is going to be a weird game. When the season is on the line and you have pretty much your entire bench at your disposal, the managers love to mess around with that lineup card. So you might even see all 23 men play in this game for both teams. Yeah, Um, that wouldn't surprise me either. The run line is negative one and a half in favor of the Giants. So Vegas likes the home team in this one. They're favored by. One and a half, money line 105. The over-under in this one is seven. So with the way this series is going, I might just grab the under on that one, although we might have to uh, consult betting expert Jacob Hillman to get the scoop on that. Um, so it's going to be a brisk 50 degrees under the moonlight in San Francisco tonight. So we will see how that affects the performance of the uh, sunny South uh California Dodgers. I know in game four, I was hearing reports that there were over like 45 mile an hour wind gusts blowing in from the outfield, and uh, they were cold wind gusts too. So I don't know if that affected the performance of the team or not, but it was definitely an adjustment you have to make. You can't just go out with your normal game plan when that kind of thing's happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, 
it's just weird. You don't really associate that kind of weather with California, especially SoCal. But, I mean, that's just part of it in this time of year. You just never know what type of weather you're going to get. So you have to be prepared regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, whether you're playing in, you know, Houston, which probably still 90 degrees outside every day, or Fenway, where if it, the sun's not out, you can get down in the 50s. That series is going to be bouncing all over when it comes to weather. Um, looking at your batting leaders for the Dodgers, Max Muncie is uh, leading the charge. He's got 36 home runs, a 2.5 average, and 94 RBIs. Justin Turner has a slash line of 278, 361, and 471. And uh, Max Muncie, of course, your RBI leader there on the Dodgers as well. On the Giants, your home run leader is Brandon Belt. Fittingly enough, he has 29 knocks on the year. Batting average leader is Crawford. His slash line is 298, 373, 522. Excellent slugging percentage for Brandon Crawford. He is also your RBI leader with 90 on the year. Uh, Jumping over to the defensive side of things, Walker Bueller is your uh, ERA leader. We might see him in some relief work tonight. Urias uh, led the regular season in wins with 20 and uh, Bueller led the league in strikeouts as well with 212 this year. Um, Kevin Gaussman is your ace for the Giants across the board. He led the team in ERA wins and strikeouts as well. But Bueller and Gaussman are not the ones starting tonight. It is, of course, Julio Urias and Logan Webb being your starting pitchers for tonight. They both won their respective games. Uh, that they started in the postseason so far. So something has got to give tonight. Urias has an ERA of 1-8. Logan Webb is perfect so far. Urias has five innings of work. Webb has seven and two-thirds. Urias has given up three hits. Webb's given up five hits. Urias has five strikeouts. Webb has ten strikeouts. And Urias has walked a batter. Neither pitcher has given up a home run. Now I give the advantage to Webb, and just based on stats, um, he's had more experience and has done more with it so far this postseason. But I wouldn't count out Urias. I mean, this guy has plenty of experience. So I think this is going to be a uh, – the reason I'm taking the under in this one is just because I like both of these pitchers a great deal. And I know both teams are going to be throwing everything they have at each other because obviously, like Daniel said, this is it's all or nothing for both of these teams. Um, it's going to come down to these. which one of these pitchers runs out of gas first. I think there's going to be like a big three-run home run that chases one of these guys, and it, that's going to be curtains for the entire series. Yeah, I agree with that take. And um, Is it time for predictions? I think we could go ahead. I'm going with San Fran. I don't know if that's wishful thinking as the part of me that cheers for the Braves despite the jersey I'm wearing today. But... Um, I just, I think they get it done. I'm going to go the Dodgers on this one. As much as I would love the Giants to win, I think the Dodgers is too high-powered for them to take them out. Mm. I think the the explosive, I think the, the San Francisco Giants have been an all-around more consistent and talented team throughout the the season. And as a result, I mean, that's why they won 107 games, best record in baseball, and, you know, got the one seed in the National League. However, what the Dodgers have done is be, you know, electric and explosive and clutch as much as that doesn't really matter, um, the clutch aspect. But, you know, being explosive, they've had, they've had lower lows, but they've also had higher highs. And I think 
the San Francisco Giants' consistency is perfect. It's a perfect formula for winning regular season games, and they did 107 of that. So, But I think the Los Angeles Dodgers, the way they broke open all the games, they were um, San Francisco played very close games on the one they've won, and Los Angeles has kind of blown out the Giants in the games they've won. So I think it's going to be you know on a razor's edge throughout the entire game, and I think that lends itself very well for one or two bounces going the Dodgers' way and the Dodgers come away with this one, I would say, like, in a, in a 5-2 victory. So uh, that's my prediction for tonight. But there is plenty of other playoff baseball to talk about, and we will do so on the other side of a break. We've got the National League Championship Series to talk about uh, with your Atlanta Braves joining the party. We've also got our matchup set for the American League with the Astros playing in their fifth straight American League Championship Series against Daniel and Bay's Boston Red Sox. Speaking of Bay Marks, we got him coming in later on in the show to do our favorite segment, Uniform Factor. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. 91.1 WEGL FM, Auburn University. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Davis Carroll, Daniel Locke, and now Alex Houston. Welcome into the show. Um, I'm sure things will get much more colorful from here on out as a result. So we're going to jump right back into what we were discussing before the break, and that is, of course, playoff baseball. Uh, now, of course, the Dodgers and Giants are playing tonight to see if they can which one of those teams will make it to the National League Divisional Series to take on, of course, the Atlanta Braves, who punched their ticket to the NLDS uh, uh, on Tuesday when uh, it was a 4-4 tie, and Freddie Freeman sent home a home run to left center field in the bottom of the eighth inning to make it 5-4. to Um on their final out, Christian Yelich comes up to bat and watches three pitches sail right by to end the Brewers' season. And that is all she wrote for the Brew Crew as after taking game one, the Braves get two shutouts and one not-so-shutout to get three straight against the Brewers and come away with their second straight NLCS appearance. Um, Tyler Matzik gets the win in that one. Hader gets the loss. And Will Smith, believe it or not, gets his third save of the postseason as he saved all three games against the Brewers. Um, Jumping over to the stats in that one. You had uh, Navarez uh, getting the RBI to break the ice in this one. Kane singles to center to score Urias. That makes it 2-0. Braves come back and... In this bottom of the fourth inning, Rosario singles to shallow center. Austin Riley and Travis Darno score on that one. Heredia moves over to third. That ties the game at 2-2. Two to two. Rowdy Telez then homers in the fifth inning to get two RBIs as Christian Yelich was on base. And then in the bottom of the fifth, the Braves answer right back. Jock Peterson grounds into a fielder's choice at third base. Ozzy Albee scores on that one. And Adam Duvall is out at second. Moves Austin Riley over to third to make it 4-3. 
and then Travis Darnot singles over to right field. Riley scores on that one, and Jock Peterson moves over to third. That ties up at 4-4, four, four. and as I mentioned earlier, Freddie Freeman in the bottom of the eighth. Homers to a deep center field, 428-foot shot from the reigning National League MVP. Sends the Braves on to the next round as Will Smith comes on and gets three crucial outs to send the Brew Crew home packing in this one. Did you guys watch this game? I was unable to watch it, watch it, but I was following along on my phone pretty much strike for strike. I did, and um, I got home that day. I put it on. One of the best baseball games I've seen in a while. Um, Eamon Smith and I finished up kicking ice, and I raced home to watch it. Um, I went on Monday to Game 3. I wish I'd gone to Game 4 because, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, that would have been so fun. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost you couldn't write a better story for the Braves having their MVP get an effective walk-off homer to, and then, you know, having – their closer, who they've been having troubles with all year, come out and successfully close the game after putting a man on first. So it was a very impressive performance by the Braves the entire series. I thought the Braves were in real trouble after they went down one to nothing up in Milwaukee. Um, but they showed glimpses in that game, putting the uh, tying run, I think, at second base in the bottom of the ninth up in, or in the top of the ninth up in Milwaukee. So I think they showed glimpses of greatness. This very easily could have been a sweep um, if you look back in hindsight at it. So I'm uh, impressed with the Braves' performance, and it's given me a little bit more optimism that the NLCS might be a little more competitive than I thought. It seems like this team is geared up for the postseason and ready for whatever challenge awaits after we have a winner declared in Oracle Park tonight. Yeah, um, it was a good series. The Brewers, obviously, not as great as some people thought. Um, Braves move on, and I think the Braves are going to win the NL. Really? Really. Uh, it's a bold claim, but I, I enjoy that claim as a, as a Braves fan. Um, do, how do we, I mean, Christian Yelich, he gets the chance to basically win it for the Brewers. I mean, if you score, if you hit a home run there, that's basically curtains for the Braves going up 6-5 in the top of the ninth, and he just watches three pitches go right by him to for uh, for the uh, for the end of the Brewers' season. I mean, did you have any initial reactions to that when it happened? Because I was kind of aghast. Yeah, I was um, I was really confused myself, but the more I got thinking about it, um, I was talking to my dad, who's the biggest Braves fan I know. After, after the fact, we're talking on the phone about it, and he said, like, you know, you, you said a minute ago how Will Smith's had some trouble this year. So maybe he thought if he just played it conservatively, um, Will Smith wouldn't be able to strike him out mm-hmm. without throwing one right down the heart of the plate for Yelich to take over the fence. But that pitch just never came. Yeah, he's waiting on his pitch, and he never got it. Yelich uh, had five ABs on the day, struck out swinging, grounded out to third, single to shallow right, struck out swinging, and struck out looking. So three strikeouts for uh, Christian Yelich, former MVP of the National League. Hopefully that Insta claims he's better than healthy Mike Trout, because I'm sorry, that's just not true. Who claimed that? I don't know. Someone did. I can't remember the I think name. Daniel's making up someone and getting I'm mad not, at him. I'm not. I'll Look, find that tweet. Christian Yelich has been off his game for this whole season. Even last season, he kind of faltered a little bit. Him and another person, this Cody Bellinger, is just they got their power sucked away by Shohei Otani coming over or something. It's the only theory I got. He's, Shohei's like the Monstars. Mm. Christian Yelich, uh, 
I, I do like Christian Yelich. I hope he gets his powers back. I hope he bounces back. Same with Bellinger. I don't like Bellinger as much as he's on the Dodgers, but he's a fun player. And I something, I don't know. They just got the yips or something. Yeah. Uh, Christian Yelich, just overall not playing too well. And the three strikeouts in the uh, deciding game of the NLDS kind of shows that. It's a good uh, microcosm of those troubles. That's right. So uh, we are going to now jump. Bless you, Alex. Thank you. Alex is over here sneezing. He's lo- he's fighting for his life over there. Yeah, it is very. That was a difficult one. I'm not gonna lie. All right. So let's jump on over to the game we have on Friday. That is in Minute Maid Park, as I like to call it, the Juice Box. And that one is going to be the Boston Red Sox traveling deep in the heart of Texas to take on the Houston Astros, who are playing in their fifth straight. American League Championship Series. This is game one, and um, we're all very excited for it. Um, Taking a look at the batting leaders in this one, it's going to be Devers for the Red Sox. He's your home run leader with 38. Xander Bogart is your batting average leader with a 295 mark, Uh, and Devers is also your RBI leader with 113. Jordan Alvarez over on Houston, he's your designated hitter. He has 33 knocks and 104 RBIs on the year. Gilly Gurriel is your batting average leader with a cool 319. All right, so what's what's the prognosis on this one, Daniel? Well, um, I'm nervous about it, um, but I'm also very excited to see the Red Sox back in the ALCS after missing, like, obviously they won the World Series in 2018, they missed the playoffs in 2019. The short season 2020 Red Sox were one of the worst baseball teams I've ever seen. They couldn't score and they couldn't pitch. So you had a lot of blowout games in that one or for that short season. I'm glad that team didn't play a full 162 since I honestly believe they would have had one of the worst records ever. But the 2021 Red Sox, different story, had a scare there at the end. But they got it done. They got the wild card spot against the Yankees. They beat them. Took care of Tampa Bay, really. Um, now we've got Houston, who I don't think is as good as Tampa Bay, if I'm being honest with you. So I think the Red Sox get this one done in five or six games. Interesting. Now, um, I think the biggest, you kind of are facing two different animals when you have the uh, Astros versus the Rays. The Rays, I see, is a very good pitching team, which the Boston Red Sox did not really care about at all and took them deep a number of times um, to have plenty of offensive explosions in that series. I would say the Astros are a much more heavily offensively focused uh, team. You have have Yarden Alvarez, who's the designated hitter on the Strohs, basically setting all kinds of numbers for the Astros offensively, so I think it's going to be now the pressure is going to lie on Chris Sale and the rest of the Red Sox rotation to kind of tamp down the Astros because I don't know if the Red Sox lineup, as, as hot as they are, will be able to keep pace with this this Astros, especially if you um you know get down a game or two heading back to Fenway later on next week. Yeah, that's a good point. And like in Game Three and Game Four of the ALDS um, against the Rays, the Red Sox did blow two eighth uh, eighth inning leads. They did end up winning both those games, but I don't really think you can afford to do that in this series. Like we can't really do a shootout. We've got to stop them in this one. Yep. So um, 
do you have they have not announced starters yet do you have any idea of do you think it's going to be Chris Sale for the Sox I've been thinking about that a lot and I do I, I think they're going to rock with Sale um and if Sale can get five innings and allow two three runs or less I think that's a successful day mm. I know they put Eovaldi on the bump for the all-star game or not the, yeah the the wild card game am I right about that you are Okay, so it could be Eovaldi, but it also is, you know, you got to get a win in game one if you want to have, you know, especially on the road, you want to come back to Fenway with some momentum uh, in game three. So I think Chris Sale is the presumptive starter for this game one coming up uh, tomorrow evening in Houston. You know, I mentioned the weather earlier in the show. It's uh, supposed to be around 91 degrees in Houston on first pitch, and then over in Boston at the same time, it's going to be around 63 degrees. So about 30 degrees of temperature difference between these two cities. So it's going to be, uh, you know, especially after the sun goes down, going to be very different uh, as these teams gear up to travel, you know, halfway across the country to, to take on each other, much like the, uh, the Red Sox-Dodgers uh, World Series we saw a couple years ago where it was very cold in Boston and very hot in Los Angeles. Just something to consider. That was a good World Series. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure you were a big fan of. I I, I was a big fan of the uh, the 18 inning game, personally. Yeah, that was for a night owl like me. Getting to watch baseball at 2:30 in the morning was a lot of fun. I remember I was watching that game and my mom came out. I was like, "When are you going to go to bed?" I was like, "When the game's over." Fair enough. Um, you know. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good general bedtime. I think. I think once the sports end is is generally when you need to go to bed. I agree. Even on a uh, Pac-12 Saturday. All right, we're going to head to a quick break. I see Bay Marks has uh, peeked his head in the door. We might get his take on what's coming up for the Boston Red Sox, as he is a Red Sox fan. And the main event, of course, uniform factor. That is coming up on the other side of this break. We're talking all kinds of college football uniforms, maybe even a little hockey talk um, as we uh, have one half of Kicking Ice with us here today. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more compact discourse, including Bay Marks and uniform factor. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. And thankfully, I have everyone else's mics muted as the discourse has gotten a bit out of hand now that Bay Marks has joined us in the studio. Um, checking out camera number three, we've got two Red Sox fans on one microphone. What could go wrong? I remember the last time we had two fans of the same team on one mic here in the studio. Um, their team gave up 10 unanswered in the bottom of the first inning, so... We'll see if that same bad luck streak continues as the WGL curse could be alive and well, or it might just be, you know, a mutation of the Hillman curse, the Hillman variant, if you will. Welcome into the show, uh, Alex Houston, um, Davis Carroll, Daniel Locke, Bay Marks. Everyone, say hello. Wave, wave hello to the people at home. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I've haven't even been here five minutes, and Davis I was just is messing with Bay, and he started morning. going at my neck over here. This man goes. 
you know what? We're not going to get into it. What, what no, happens go off ahead the and air say stays it. off No, the go air. ahead and say it. Let, let the people at No Home what I said. Dude is trying to tell me that when I was four years old, I'm a bandwagon for picking the Red Sox just because I found a random Red Sox shirt in my drawer. Didn't they? Well, when the Red on, Sox had the curse of the great Bambino and hadn't won in ages. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. But like, you're you're sure you were four years old? Because I'm pretty sure they conveniently won a World Series around that time. So yeah, seems so kind of suspect. So that that means I would have gotten the shirt before they won the World mm, Series. Mm. Unless, look, look. unless your your age guess is not accurate. All Go I'm saying is, hey. shots, I'm just gonna say Washington football team and a bandwagon Milwaukee Bucks. But the fan. thing is, if you're That's saying I, say. what what is your what's your criteria for calling me a bandwagon? Because I was a fan when they were bad. I joined because I like Jabari Parker. Also, my team sucks, and I'm stuck with it, so I deserve credit. I'm just saying, if you call me a bandwagon because I'm a fan of a team far away, then both of y'all Can you show me proof that you've been a fan since Right there. Right there. He went to high school. That's true. I was a fan of Jabari Parker. Uh, I was a fan of Jabari Parker. In 2014, they sucked. I think it's important to mention, in 2014, they were bad. And Davis was still a fan, so for what it's worth. For what it's worth. Not to mention he he can recall watching Michael Red or whatever, which I still don't even understand how that's possible. But that it, it'd be what it'd be. Point being, Davis Charlie Villanueva Davis said, "What are you gonna do if the Astros beat the Red Sox?" Because I made the claim or I made a comment about how one of the White Sox pitchers said that he thought one of them was sign stealing, and I looked at him and I was like, "It's the same thing you would have said if y'all would have lost to the Suns when y'all were down two to nothing." They the were stealing signs, crazy. No, but you would have made up some. Crap no, I would have said we about lost. Why lost. The reality it's is, this is more baseball and basketball than the Oreo. Hey, hey, okay, okay, but but an important thing about this debate: the reality is not if they lose, but when. So with that, hey, in you can, mind, y'all can handle that. I'm not. I'm not. No do, comment. Do you have a dog in the fight? Not at all. I just. I just he like seeing chaos. chaos. And not to me- not to mention um, the Astros coming off the cheating scandal and subsequently winning with a guy who historically does not win in the playoffs is just very funny. In general, I, like sign stealing is not cheating, you know. Well, I think it's unethical. The, jur- the jury's still out on it's, that one. It well, seems. if you if you use outside methods to steal signs, that's cheating. But if you're on second base and you're able to figure out their signs and tell your batter, I don't think that's the cheating. problem. Was the camera so, in the outfield that they were using? That's cheating. Yeah, that's, that's nobody. Nobody just yeah. screaming. That's cheating. But if you're on second base and you just figure it out with your coaches in the dugout from looking at it, I'd say it's like a more cheating. unethical thing. Like it's not exactly the same, but it's almost like if you get a copy of like an old exam. Like it's That's, not okay. Like you can expect what's coming if you figure it out yourself. But like when Kevin Kiermaier took whatever who what team was ever he took their their sign after it fell out of his pocket. Oh yeah, I do remember that. I was like, I think it was the that old, is last like month. He I think it was the Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah. The, it's not that, technically that's, cheating. That's basically taking. I'm just saying, yeah. in in a game where pa- where part of the game is throwing a 90 mile an hour fastball at somebody's head, if they you know broke the rules, then I think it's kind of difficult to you know debate what is a rule and what is not. Just saying. So like sign stealing itself, like, I mean, do you like as Davis says the. Using it outside means such as camera in the outfield, yes. But or, like if they're just doing or it the way an that they Apple do Watch. It. Ah, yes. Any yeah. any comments, you two Red Sox fans? Yeah, Yo Tango un Apple Watch. Mm. Ray Lo de Apple is my guess. Uh, All right. Ah, well, I think see. I think to bookend this conversation, I will have a, a recommendation. Um, a book I read over the summer or listened to it as an audio book with my dad is called The Baseball Codes. Uh, by Jason Turbo, and uh, it is a fantastic book, basically telling you the entire history of the quote-unquote unwritten rules of baseball, whether that be Nolan Ryan's no-bunting rule or the uh, all the schemes that have been come up with to uh, steal science in the past, whether that be you know fake scoreboards, fake on-air lights, 
uh, towels being hung off the bullpen. Basically a comprehensive history of how this whole Astros thing is nothing new. Uh, Jason Turbo's The Baseball Codes is a book with a comprehensive history of all of that. So check it out if you feel so inclined, if that's your kind of thing. Um, and I think with that, we can jump into Uniform Factor. Or has everybody cooled down enough? For now. You got it's comments? all out of love, honestly. <laughs> it, we all love each other. Yeah, it's here. all out of love. It's all love. All right. I don't know if I agree with that. I'm going to hit the orange button now. Now, form factor is a term I learned in my occupational safety and ergonomics class. Does Powder Blue ever look bad? Ever? Absolutely not. I can't name one team. <laughs> That's the worst helmet I've ever seen. I mean, part of the fun of throwbacks is that we're all in on the joke that they look terrible. Bird is awful, but the jerseys themselves are sick. Dude, this is clean, man. Hey, when they rockin' these. Any thoughts on this Browns-Broncos matchup, Carter? The game itself? The uniforms. And the uniforms, of course. Uh, yeah, so we're going to jump right into... Uniform Factor, if you are watching our stream over here on WEGL91 on YouTube, you can check that out. And if you are not watching the stream, if you're driving around in your car, that is saved as a video on demand. Whenever you would like to watch it, you can come back to the YouTube page and just skip to about 30 minutes into the show. All right, uh, we're going to jump over to Uniform Factor. First uniform is these Texas Tech throwback uniforms. All of these photos are available on uniswag.com. Um, they kind of just source them from the team's social media pages. So um, the, I think these are all open source, but uniswag.com is a good, you know, collection site for all of these. So first of all, we're going to talk about throwback uniforms from Under Armour. Once again, this is the second time we've had an Under Armour throwback on the show. The first time being Maryland that we talked about, I think, on one of the first episodes. So these are Texas Tech's throwbacks that they will be wearing against TCU later on. This month, and they feature the, you know, the ye old Texas Tech logo, the double T, um, that is not the one they use now. It's the, <laughs> the old-fashioned one. It also has classic block lettering of Texas Tech and a pretty traditional stripe and numbering pattern on the front on a black jersey, white numbers with red piping. It's got that vintage Under Armour logo as well as the Big 12 logo and some interesting kind of battle gray pants to go along with it with a red Under Armour logo on that. So these are what Texas Tech will be wearing against TCU later on these month Under Armour throwbacks. I was just going to say, the the first thought I have looking at these, especially with that, uh, is that like more of like a, not like a gradient in the middle of that number, but like uh, that sort of pattern for whatever reason kind of reminded me out of just nowhere. Uh, I believe, what year was that when... Uh, Texas went on the road to Texas Tech and got beat. Two thousand seven. It was the year where uh, everything went, yeah, crazy. Well, that that night, I will never forget. I was up way too late watching that game. Uh, my dad came into my room and got mad at me for watching that game because I was supposed to be asleep. I was seven. But regardless, uh, that's kind of what these unis reminded me of when I looked at them. I know it's not that far back into the past for that, but um, I mean, just overall, they have a really good color scheme. I feel like that they can play with. I feel like a few of these. Um, Uniforms we've looked at lately kind of fall into that category of being able to do different things with their colors, um, with especially with this red that pops so well with this red and white or uh, the black and white. Um, and I know it's not a huge deal, but Jack mentioned it just now in the open with the uniform is the throwback Under Armour logo, um, almost is kind of just like a subtle touch that uh, uniform aficionados like ourselves really kind of appreciate when looking at a uniform in depth. Alex, what do you uh, think? I would say a couple things. One, Bay, you mentioned that gradient in the middle of the uh, number. It's not necessarily gradient. It is, I believe it's hinting at how old u- jerseys used to look with all the holes in them and whatnot. Like okay. they, yeah. teams themselves didn't update past those until the early '90s. So this is definitely thrown back to the '80s era. 
of Texas Tech football because that's how those jerseys used to always look for every team. Now, of course, they don't have those holes in them anymore, but I think that's what it's sort of hinting at in the past. And I like everything about this. The one thing is that, and of course, there's not anything you can do about it, but like you mentioned how that's not their current Texas Tech logo. You could have fooled me, to be honest. It is essentially, they've given the new one a facelift, but it is the, it is the exact same T on top of T style, which mm-hmm. again, if that's know. always been their logo, there's nothing they can do about that. I just was kind of, win throwbacks, I like teams to get a very unique, different logo, and this is basically just theirs without a 2000s era reboot, which is what they gave it recently. But everything else I like about it, I like uh, how the colors match. I like the Ray pants. I don't think they wear those very often for their regular jerseys. And I like the numbers being uh, like bigger and bolder than they are currently. Like Their current uh, uniforms have a lot thinner numbers, which I'm personally not a big fan of in general for college football, so I like that. that awesome. Sense. You want to swing that over to Daniel? I like these a lot. Uh, they look classic. Um, I like black on black, and they did a really good job. Okay, good deal. Davis, anything before we move on? Not much else to add on it, but I will say I do like the glossy finish on the helmet. I do like how it looks overall, but yeah. I'm not a big fan of the the middle number thing with the holes. I don't know. It, I, I don't know. It's not really doing seems it. Like there's it seems, a, little, it seems like there's a lot going on with these. Yeah. I like think I, too, okay. too many moving parts. Maybe if, if I may, I think they wanted to make it more throwback than it is because it doesn't look so different from their current uniforms now. Like mm-hmm. not even with the logo. So I think that was their effort to try and say, "Hey, look at these! They're throwback, everybody." Which mm-hmm. I get why they did that, but I think that's probably yeah. why because again, in general, they don't look super throwback because Tex Tech has not really changed their colors and. They haven't really changed the style of their uniforms. They do wear the black with the logo or with the name above the number and everything. Like there's, there's not much difference. So I think that's probably why. I I hope Texas Tech is fortunate enough to get to wear these in a night game because nothing is more disappointing than bringing out your blackout jerseys and having to play at noon. I think A and M was uh, on the wrong side of that deal a couple of years ago when they rolled out their matte black jerseys. All right. I think bandwagon chat went a little long, so we're gonna have to punt over to the next segment. Uh, when Uniform Factor will continue with four more exciting uniforms. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some more Uniform Factor. You are listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I've got Alex, I've got Davis, i got Daniel, and i got Bay Marks hanging out with me in the studio. We'll be right back in about two minutes with some more Compact Discourse and Uniform Factor. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart, joined alongside Alex Houston, Bay Marks, Daniel Locke, and Davis Carroll. we got a full house hanging out in the studio this morning, and rightfully so, as we are jumping right back into Uniform Factor, plenty to get to, so we'll go right back into it. Let's kick things off with a little hockey. NHL season debuted on Tuesday, and the LA Kings have a new look for this season. Um, based off their 90s jerseys back when Wayne Gretzky was a king. Uh, if you're watching our video live stream, WEGL, on YouTube, you can check out what we're talking about in living color. Wayne Gretzky in the top right of our little graphic here today. Uh, these jerseys are not identical to what uh, the great one was wearing when he was shooting up for the Kings back in the day, but they are pretty similar using the same logo and, you know, kind of silver-focused color scheme. This is, a, this is back when... Uh, Hockey teams would wear white at home back in the 90s and 80s. So 
This might be, I don't know, they haven't exactly confirmed when they will be wearing these. It is just going to be an alternate third jersey for the Kings this year. So they might be wearing them at home as an homage to the great Wayne Gretzky teams of the 90s. But they might just be wearing them on the road as another road look. So they are white with black pants, uh, black and silver socks, white gloves, which I think is an awesome touch. Um, You got the numbers on just the upper shoulder. Uh, not quite where they were on the Wayne Gretzky jerseys. And then uh, if you'll remember back uh, from 2019, the stadium series that the uh, the L.A. Kings played against the Colorado Avalanche, they debuted a silver helmet. That silver helmet will be paired up with this jersey as well, a kind of you know chrome dome helmet to bring this whole kind of throwback 90s under the lights look together. So on the bottom right of our graphic, we have a better look at that chrome helmet because it looks a little bit black in the promotional pictures that the Kings put out to promote these. So um, we'll have just a quick discussion about these, including, you know, resident kicking ice man Daniel Locke. We'll probably get his take on these as well. All right, what do we think? If I, if I may, it says on the Uniswag website that they will de- be debuting them on November 17th. I don't know if you... Okay. but they And it says... But, I mean, they'll be wearing them a lot. 15 times this season is, okay. what, is what it says. But okay. the debut will officially be November 17th against the Capitals. Also, if I may criticize just promotionally, showing off the chrome helmet in a very dark room where it appears black was yeah. a major miss. Again, I don't know where you do it to showcase it. I just... Remember how great chrome helmets can look like when Oregon pulled up with them in the Rose Bowl and the camera was like, look at the Rose Bowl reflected in the helmet. It was so cool. This is just not – I mean, I'm sure it's going to look cool, but yeah. I can't tell that. That's why I pulled out that extra picture to kind of get get the idea across. Yeah. White gloves, chrome helmets. Pretty cool look. I agree. I like these a lot. Um, they bring back a – well, I wasn't alive for this, obviously, because it was in the 90s, but a Bruins moment where – the L.A. Kings rolled in, and the Bruins beat them 9 to nothing, which is one of the biggest upsets in NHL history and biggest uh, defeats in NHL history. So I just I th- it's funny to see these. Uh, I, you know, I just really think they look sleek overall. I will, I'm interested in seeing the chrome helmets in a less dark room, like Alex mentioned. I think they'll look good overall. But issue with like shiny helmets like that sometimes they don't have a as good of a luster after playing a while because they get beat up kind of scratched like you remember the fushigi balls as a kid yeah I always wanted a fushigi ball I had one you dropped it once it didn't work anymore never the same it was just the, it was just the fact it was a mirror it looked like it was floating yeah I always wanted one of those they were cool but they hurt if you dropped them on your foot I'll tell you what <laughs> uh, I'd imagine that yes I think just like they flow really well. Um, they're they're not too much, but they're also doing a lot with just a little bit. Um, my only thing is, I mean, obviously I'm probably the least educated hockey guy in the room, but I feel like a lot when I see a lot of hockey highlights and a lot of hockey teams playing on TV, um, especially with the white uniforms, it's kind of a trouble to try to make the colors that are on the white uniforms pop with that white ice. Um, I feel like this combination of not even a gray, the silver. With that black and white, um, just, especially with, like Jack mentioned, those white gloves, I think is a nice touch. I think these colors, especially with the way that they implemented them onto these white uniforms, um, I think they'll really pop on the ice, and I think they'll look really good for the Kings. So um, even though I'm not really a big hockey guy, I think they did a really good job with these. And I always love this color scheme, um, the black and the gray um, and the white. It's a little tough to pull off, but you can do a lot of different things with it, and it can look really good. All right, so that is going to do it for the L.A. Kings' new throwback uniforms. They are adding this as an alternate third jersey for the 2021-2022 series. 
uh, season. So keep an eye out for these, especially on November 17th when they get debuted against the Caps. All right, what's next? Oh, okay, it is the University of Utah's throwback uniforms that they debuted versus Southern California this past weekend. Um, they actually won a game in Los Angeles for the first time in 106 years, did the Utah Utes. So wow. Imbued with a, little, with a little bit of magic. That's factual. I, that's, that's what the headline said. You know, the, me, the media doesn't lie. Um, mm. So this is going to be a throw. It's a throwback version. Or, I'm sorry, a road version of a throwback that they have worn in the past. They have just worn it with red shirts, but they took this look on the road and um, – the, the the losing streak is probably older than the look they are trying to go for here, as I think this is a throwback to the uh, the 80s for the Utah Utes. They go with the interlocking W logo, which on the helmet and on the shoulder. Um, and we have the regular Under Armour logo, not the throwback Under Armour logo. And then these promotional photos look cool, but I think that fo- I'm glad this game's already happened because that photo I have in the bottom right of the the uh, the uniforms in action with four of these guys kind of linking up to celebrate a touchdown is probably one of the cooler sports photos of the 2021 season so far. So these are the Utah Utes throwback uniforms in red and white. I like them a lot. I think uh, even just like overall aesthetically, the Utah Utes have had one of the better rebrandings of any teams in the past uh, few years. Uh, People who remember Earlier college football, remember the Utah uh, Utes old logo was basically what the formerly Washington Redskins logo was, but just with a U in the middle, which honestly was kind of lazy in in comparison to a lot of others. And they've kind of rebranded to just be the big U or the W as they have right here. And I really have always liked those logos better. And these, yeah, I just think they're really cool. I like the way the numbers look. I like uh, the double U's on the shoulder pads as well as the helmets. Um, Yeah, Utah has had some good uniforms in the past. I think they're really... In terms of just appearance, they're trending in the right direction of standing out when having a relatively basic color scheme of just red and white. So I think it's pretty good. Anybody else? I don't know why, but I get um, Wisconsin feels from these. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I mean, same same color scheme, more or less. I will say I really like the number font. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the W on, yeah, whatever. The W on the helmet. It looks really good, but I really like the one on the shoulder pad. Yeah, I think that's a good touch. And I even really like, I guess that's the, a captain patch, the little C. Uh, on You can see the guy, if you, I'm not sure if it's on. Yeah, yeah the guy sitting down, but it was uh, upwards of the four. I think that's a really cool C. I'm not, that's one thing that really stuck out to me. Very Old West uh, is, the, is the number font. Big fan. I don't even like. I mean, I understand it's like the throwback fondage for the number, but like that's the only thing that really throws me off with these uniforms. I do, I do like and appreciate them. One thing I would be interested to see, um, especially because there is so much white, just to see what a white face mask would have looked like with these, especially popping like in Jack's bottom right picture on the live stream if you're watching live or later. Um, I just would have been interested to see, just like Auburn did, to throw out a white face mask just to just to get a taste of what that feels feels like. But I think the red does do a good job of popping off that white helmet. But, um, again, just a white face mask. I just want to see what that would look like. All right, so let's jump on over to our next college football jersey, and that is the space shuttle uniforms for University of Central Florida, Um, the Citronaut uniforms. If you don't know about that, very heavily tied was the University of Central Florida to the space program in the 1960s all the way up to the present uh helping you know you know right there next to the space coast of 
the Daytona Beach and Kennedy Space Center area. So these pay homage to the space shuttle missions. Um, color scheme extremely reminiscent of the space shuttle right down to the backwards American flags and the word Citronauts running backwards across the helmet, kind of like United States of America would run backwards down a Saturn V rocket or across the space shuttle. You've also got the numbers are made up of effectively unit patches from and mission uh, logs from the space shuttle missions. You've also got names of space shuttle astronauts on the helmet, which you can't really see, but trust me, they're there very faintly and kind of gray on the front of the helmet. And I think those are all the, there's also a space shuttle mission patch on the right shoulder pad, backwards American flag on the left shoulder pad. And a awesome chrome face mask to boot on this one. These are super cool. What is the on the on the hip on the front? What is what is the little logo right there? That is um that is the Citronaut himself. It was kind okay. of like a like a 1940s cartoon man that was the s- symbol of UCF's okay. uh, interaction with the space program. Yeah. Yeah, these are awesome. I mean, this this is again as you know part of part of rebranding your team and expanding your program is how can you you know make your team stand out like the organ maneuver of just having all these uniforms is really what helped build the program in part and UCF I think knows that and they're well aware of that and not to mention picking a uniform style that very much ties to the university's history is also pretty cool this is just yeah it's awesome I really like the different I think uh, mission like dates in the numbers that's just really cool and unique I like when Teams will take smaller things like that and make even that a little difference. That's cool. Yeah, I just they're great. That's all I gotta say. I I adore these. Everything about them. I think if you're gonna make a, a uniform, uh, paying homage to a history within the school, I think it's the best way to do it. Instead of like kind of copying it out, just putting one thing on it. They, I mean, they put everything. They they let it known about their history, and they put a lot of interesting things on it. There's so many things you can look at. And just keep looking at it. And then it has the little Citronaut logo down there to something else. Has all the names of the astronauts on the helmet, which I really like. It's the astronauts, correct? Not on the, on the helmet, helmet. Yeah. yeah. And then the missions are the numbers. Yeah. I really I really enjoy the names of all of them. You can probably I can't I can't tell by looking at the picture. But yeah, I love it. Really cool. Uh and I think the chrome face mask and even kind of the chrome UCF logo yeah. on the side. That's my favorite part. Nice touches as well. I've never actually seen a chrome face mask on a on a helmet. So do y'all remember like like in high school and in middle school when you were in English class and you were reading some sort of piece of like literature and you were supposed to look for like that underlying meaning or just different things within the world of your know your middle school and high school mm-hmm. English class? Yes, my teacher yeah. said if the curtains were blue, the character was sad. Yes, yes, yes. yeah, stuff like that. So I think a very Classic. subtle message. Um, so obviously with the American flag being on that shoulder cap, um, a lot of people don't know a reason why there's always. Not just because it's America's, but a reason why, especially during the race to space and all that stuff back during the 60s and 70s with um, Russia and the Soviet Union or all the other countries over there in Europe, um, the United States wanted to take great pride in being one of the first countries to orbit beyond the moon, just stuff like that in their different space missions. I think it's a subtle touch um, to pay homage and honorage to the people back then and kind of to continue that theme of America first, America innovation, America um, being one of the first countries to innovate and look towards the future and not be afraid of the future um, in that sense. So I think that's just a slight touch. I know that's not why it's put on there, um, but I think it's important that they included that on there um, because that's what the space uh, program did back in the late 20th century. I think you're completely right because I think, you know, 
that, that may not be the sole reason, but you also could very easily not have it on there at all. I mean, when the grand scheme, the uniform has so many things going on, a U.S. flag on it, whether or not, would not have made or break the uniforms, but the choice to keep it on there, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. All right, and that's going to do it for University of Central Florida's new space uniforms. They roll out a new one every year. They've been hit or miss in the past, if you ask me, but I think a hit out of the park for UCF. All right, we have to head to our 9 o'clock break, but when we come back, we're going to have to talk about it. Something happened in Neyland Stadium on Saturday. Oh, no. uh, We're going to have to address it. I I hate to to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, it it did happen. So, Neyland Stadium coming up. If you know what's coming, get ready. Uh, We'll be back in about three or four minutes with some more compact discourse. Don't go anywhere. The thrilling conclusion of Uniform Factor on the other side of this break. We will be right back. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hard, joined alongside Alex Houston, Davis, Carroll, Bay, Marks, and Daniel Locke. Welcome to the end of the show. Thank you for spending your Thursday morning with us right here on the Big 91 WEGL 91.1 FM. We're broadcasting live from the Harold Melton Student Center here on the campus of Auburn University. It is a beautiful fall day outside, so go out and enjoy the weather if you haven't already. Get ready for an awesome weekend of sports, including the Auburn Tigers traveling to Fayetteville to take on the Razorbacks of Arkansas at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. So be sure to check that one out if you are a true Auburn Tiger fan. All right, uh, we want to remind you that you can follow the station on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WEGL underscore AU. Check it out. If you want to see some high-quality content from our lovely marketing team, they're working super hard to get you all the information about Weagle events as well as just super fun content to check out over on TikTok. There's plenty of stuff there. You can follow us on Twitter as well at CDISCAU, at C-D-I-S-C-A-U. And we've also got some awesome shows as part of the WEGL Sports Network, including the one and only Scoreboard that is uh, WEGL's longest-running sports show. It's the longest-running sports show on Weagle. Uh, all right. Uh, the, the scoreboard is going to be today at 2 p.m. And if you want to listen to it live, you can also listen to the podcast, uh, however you get your podcast, same as Compact Discourse. Uh, we've also got uh, Kicking Ice was recorded on Tuesday, Auburn's premiere hockey podcast. Um, this is WEGL Sports, where every game lives, including hockey. So uh, Kicking Ice with Daniel and Eamon, that is available as a podcast as well. You can also listen to it live Tuesdays at 2 p.m. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, 2 p.m., great sports on WEGL. We've also got, uh, what is it, Behind the Glass coming up. Yeah, uh, right. It comes out on Friday. Yep. Um, do you want to tell us a little about that, Davis? Yeah, uh, so this week, uh, this October, so we're obviously doing, going to be doing some scary movies. Yes. This week we did uh, Ari Aster, we did Midsummer and Hereditary. Scary movies. Scary movies. Next week we're going to be doing the classic 90s Scooby-Doo movies. I'm sure all of us have uh, seen at least two of them. I'm those are say. which uh, Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invaders, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chase, and Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost. 
Yep. I'm going to be talking about those. I grew up with all those. The impact they had, the reason they made them. Mm. Hint, Hanna-Barbera was having some trouble wanting to get back in the Scooby-Doo game with some Mm -hmm. big movies to get the hype back up. And uh, if they're anime, we'll have have a debate about that. Mm. Ooh, that's interesting. And then we'll wrap up uh, the spooky season with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and then also simultaneously John Carpenter's Halloween. And then Hocus Pocus. No. Yes. We will be ending with Hocus Pocus no. on behind the, what's it called, Jack? Behind the hedges. There it is. Um, All right. We I teased it on the other side of the break. I'm but so excited. I think, I think it's about time to continue Uniform Factor with the thrilling conclusion and uh, I think we're going to have to reserve the final six minutes of this segment to talking about it. And that is um, University of Tennessee Knoxville brought back the dark mode uniforms as an homage oh. back to 2009 when uh, Lane Kiffin was the head coach of the Vols. He said he would never change the uniform. And then the next week, uh, Tennessee comes out in these black practice jerseys against University of South Carolina with orange pants and white helmets. And they figured, you know what? Lane Kiffin's killing it at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is coming to town next week. Let's, um, let's against South Carolina for our day game, wear these awesome black jerseys that they have rolled out. Um, not really anything like the black jerseys they wore back in 2009, but black jerseys to boot. The only thing they have in common is that they have orange numbering and a white helmet, which is a bold choice if you're going to have a blackout jersey to keep the helmet white. They've added a orange and black stripe on the top of the jer- on the top of the helmet, the outline, the block T with black and a black face mask, black shirts and pants with orange trim and numbers, no white piping at all to separate the orange and black or the yeah the orange and black. So these are what Nike and Tennessee have decided to wear, and they wore them in their big win against South Carolina last Saturday. I hate these for so many reasons. Yeah, I also now, if if I may, mine is not even a matter of principle. It's not about the aesthetic appearance because you you specifically mentioned um, how there is no white lining on the numbers. I particularly like Tennessee's more recent uh, turn towards having no lining on the numbers at all. I honestly think it looks better than how it used to because I think lining kind of looks very early two thousands esque because that's how all the jerseys look. Now, my biggest my biggest beef is universities with horrible color schemes just inventing new colors. Like, I hated the gray jerseys, and I hate these more. Auburn's not just going to show up in black because it looks cool. We certainly all could show up in black for a night game against Ole Miss wearing black jerseys and all, but we're not going to do that because that's stupid. It's not one one of our colors. It's just picking a color that you think, ooh, this looks kind of cool. First of all, Tennessee's color scheme is not terrible, in my opinion. It's not the best color scheme in the SEC. It looks like a garbage truck man convention, (laughs) if you know that joke. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but I just I don't like this at all because I think it's just very much picking a color that they think looks cool, even though it has nothing to do with the University of Tennessee. It's like it's very much like especially with older programs, that's what's very cool about the history of teams, the fact that they haven't changed. Auburn and Alabama, for example, have pretty much kept jerseys within one, their color schemes, and two, regularly, if ever, change them. Auburn's had a couple variations, but it's not been, you know, they haven't picked purple, they were orange because shockingly Orange is one of the three colors that Auburn has. But no, Tennessee's like, gray looks kind of cool. First of all, the gray sucked worse than this. But this, I, I still don't like it. It's, it's just lazy. Come up with something creative within your own color scheme. Don't just invent a color. Like, it's, it's, Auburn could just as easily pick random ones to go with, but they don't. So could half the SEC. So oh, yeah, calm down over there, Alex. What? It's stupid, and I don't like it. You know, 
this is going to be an unpopular take. Oh, I don't hate them. Well, I do because they're literally the Senior Bowl jerseys. They're you know, the carbon copy of the Senior Bowl uniforms. They are actually. They're like, terrible. No, no qualms about it. It is, is the exact same. We found same. out this was a like a like a psyop by Reese's. Look at this. That is the same. The exact same. He's right. Yeah. He's right. Point, no difference. Point taken. Keep the jersey See, on the right. That's the old one, Alex. I'm looking at the like 2021, okay, which yeah, is the, the tw- same the number. The 2021 and everything. is bad. Yeah. He mentioned the gray jerseys. I'd rather them wear the smoky gray jerseys. And at these. least that had a reason. Yeah, yeah, the smoke, Smoky uh, Mountains. Okay, smoky Rocky yes. Top. That okay. I I'd forgotten those the are bad lore. too. I'm I don't like them, but, but I'd rather them wear. At least there's a connection. Other than black looks cool, because like they act like they cherish the Lane Kiffin era. Like, ooh, let's throw it back to the Lane Kiffin era. Tennessee fans hated him about as much as he hated that place because he left. Come to the sip. I don't. I mean, I, I don't mm. like them either. There's just. Like Alex has obviously been saying, they're not a part of their colors. Um, but even if you are going to try and pull off a black, I mean, at least put some piping or outlinage around the numbers or some white alongside the side of the pants or, I mean, something of the sort to give it some sort of definition. These kind of just, they look like they were slabbed on top of the black and it doesn't yeah. pop. I think um, I could sit with these if the helmet was black. Um, the I helmet being white is a The is helmet kind of looks like, uh, you really copied Oklahoma State's homework. Um, the I could sit with them if the pants were white and they had the same stripe as the as the helmet has. But the fact that they've kind of gone halfway in both directions just doesn't doesn't provide a good look for uh, for my eyes. See, and you mentioned that about like teams using colors. That's something. And this is off track because you mentioned Alabama. It made me think about it. Alabama always wears like black cleats and black socks. And Auburn did that back in the mid to early two thousands into the Tommy Tuberville era. Which is something that I don't really appreciate either. I think I'd really much rather see Alabama wear a, a white or a red or even gray. Alabama right. has gray in their it's color. True, they, they do. never use gray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like teams using colors that aren't traditionally in their color scheme either, unless they're doing a complete rebrand. Because it's just e- it's just easy. Like you could you could pick any colors on the rainbow, smash them together, and say this is our new uniforms, even though it has nothing to do with the university. It's so lazy. Like it, there's not there's no creativity that comes with it. Only team that's allowed to do is the Rainbow Warriors. Exactly. But, like, for example, Tennessee with, with their – I mean, they got three colors. The, the gray, I'm fine with the gray being involved because of the whole smoky gray thing. But they've got, they got white and they've got orange. I'm sure they could figure out something, some odd checkerboard design that shows up more on the uniform than it does. Honestly, would have been more fine with that even if it looks terrible because it's original and it goes with their colors. You know, if, if they did an all-white jersey and then the numbers were actually checkerboard inside of it rather than just blocked numbers. What if they had, uh, like – Dog uniforms, like, that like also Florida, it, like Florida's Gator uniforms. Like that's not <laughs> Those are disgusting. Like, okay, okay, that's that would look horrible. But again, at least it's something that is exclusive to take, the university. Take notes, Nike, and not something they just were like, "Ooh, black looks kind of cool." And again, it's also just terrible from a, you know, an aesthetic standpoint because the helmet is white, which I think completely ruins the whole thing. It's like it's like you can't say dark mode activated and then show up in white helmets. It's like Oregon rocking the stormtrooper uniforms, then pulling out with a green helmet and saying, "Yes, the stormtrooper uniforms." Like it's just, it's. It, I just think it's stupid, in my opinion. I really don't like it. It's lazy. <laughs> my goodness, really struck a nerve with him today. All right, I think we're gonna have to call it. I think we could we could spend another hour talking about these, but we will have to head to a quick break and conclude our discussion on the Tennessee Vols black uniforms. If you would like to see all the uniforms that we talked about over the past 45 minutes, you can watch our video live stream on YouTube. You can also go to uniswag.com. That's where I get all of the pictures. 
um, but they're also available on the team's respective social media pages. So it's pretty easy to find, but that's what we were talking about for the past little while. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes to continue our discussion. We'll preview some big games coming up this weekend in both NFL and college football. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more Compact Discourse. FM 91. The Mike Lee Morning Show. Welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm your host, Jack Hart. Join alongside Daniel Locke and Alex Houston, welcoming you in to the uh, second half of the show it is 9.19 in the morning here. We have not done your weather report yet as we got into a spirited debate regarding uh, uniforms, the Astros, take your pick. Um, you can listen to the podcast if you want to get the uh, full breadth of that discussion if you dare. Um, it is 70 degrees right now on the plains, a uh, high of 83 today with a low of 62 very low chance of rain throughout the entire day, so probably won't need that raincoat or umbrella as you head out into class or work today. Uh, partly cloudy this afternoon, about an 81-degree afternoon we are expecting, and it's going to cool off once again, as it has for about the past week, to 64 degrees this evening as the clouds roll in. We are looking at a waxing gibbous, so very much approaching a full moon by the end of the month. Uh, 87% humidity today. Winds are going to be light and variable. Sun is going to set at 6.09 p.m. If you want to stand on top of the Haley Center, you got 10 miles of visibility in all directions. How about that? All right, and that is going to be your uh, Auburn, weather. Auburn weather report. So we're going to jump right back into the show, and we're going to talk about what is coming up. This weekend in college football, plenty, of, plenty of good games, including tonight we've got Navy at Memphis, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. That one is at 6.30. Uh, we've got Georgia Southern at South Alabama, Sun Belt matchup, oh gosh. 6.30 p.m. That one's on ESPNU. We've also got a big slate of games on Friday as well. I mean, that's how you know we're getting to the heart of the season is that we get big games on Friday. Indeed. We got Marshall at North Texas, Conference USA matchup, 6 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. That one is at North Texas. Clemson at Syracuse. Now, that one could go either way, believe it or not, uh, as Clemson is bad Clemson. and Syracuse is also bad. Yes, uh, and that one is in the Carrier Dome where Clemson has had a, you know, problem. That's a house of horrors for the Clemson Tigers. Yeah. Going to um, be pulling for the orange in that one. Yes, absolutely. And then at Cal. Berkeley, of the Bears of Cal, will be taking on in Outson Stadium the number nine Oregon Ducks. That one is at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN. If you would like to watch that one, um, that's coming on right after Clemson at Syracuse, so a college football doubleheader on the Entertainment Sports Network. Uh, we've also got San Diego State kicking off at San Jose State. Uh, number 24, San Diego State, I believe still undefeated. They are. That one is going to be at 9.30 Central Time in San Jose, California. That one, you can watch that one on CBS Sports Network. All right, Saturday, Saturday, plenty of great games to get to. We'll just uh, start with the 11 a.m. games. UCF at number three, Cincinnati. That one's on ABC. That's the ABC game at 11. 
Number 10, Michigan State will be playing Indiana. Trap game, question mark? Oklahoma, yes. Oklahoma State, number 12. Uh, my favorite to win the Big 12, if you didn't hear from me, though. Uh, they were playing number 25, Texas Longhorns in DKR. Auburn, of course, will be playing Arkansas on CBS at 11 a.m. CBS doubleheader. You've also got Florida at LSU. That's number 20, Florida. That is your first ESPN game. That one's at 11 on ESPN in Tiger Stadium. Number 21, Texas A&M is on the road in Memorial Stadium, Faro Field, Columbia, Missouri. They're taking on the Tigers of Mizzou. That one is on the SEC Network if you want to watch A&M at Mizzou. Nebraska and Minnesota. Ooh, that one can go either way as well. ESPN 2 if you want to watch the Huskers take on the Gophers. Rutgers at Northwestern. That one is at 11 a.m. on the Big Ten Network. That's your big noon kickoff game. You've got, oh, oh, poor, poor UConn will be hosting the Bulldogs of Yale. They're so they're so bad. Will UConn beat Yale? I mean, honestly, if it was at the Yale Bowl, I would have picked Yale. But with this in mind, I think UConn gets the win in a close one. I, I imagine a game-winning field goal uh, will be the deciding moment. East Hartford will be rocking after uh, UConn hopefully gets a win over the Bulldogs of I Yale. I mean, it'll, state, cars state. will be turned over, fires started. For the tens of fans that UConn has left. <laughs> In-state rival, Yale Bulldogs. All right, we've got Tulsa taking on South Florida, American Conference matchup. Which, um, sorry, if I if I may interrupt very Please briefly. Please may. Please interrupt. Uh, on, on that, apparently, according to Brett McMurphy, the Conference USA has proposed a, a, um, a combining of the conferences between the Conference USA and the American Athletic Conference. The American apparently said no. Well, that would make a lot of sense. That's like you know, like Canada proposing that it joins with the United States. So the idea, the idea was the group of fives want to band together and try and you know, basically take so much of the Americans' top uh, performers, Cincinnati, combine it with the sort of maxion level chaos that the Conference USA uh, presents. But the American has said no. But yeah, there's the. The problem is, is that I think they're worried that the American is worried their talent is will being leached by other conferences in the near future. There's nothing. So. There's nothing to gain for the American in, that, in that scenario. In my Except opinion. more teams, as they probably will start to lose some more. But we'll see what happens. Just wanted to update that. I guess that makes there. sense. You know, a couple of them are being pushed over to the Big Twelve. Apparently, exactly. All right, they may already have plans in place for other teams to join. Who Reckon knows? so. All right, Ohio at Buffalo in some action, like you mentioned. Uh, that's at yes. 11 a.m. Duke at Virginia as we continue to see the ACC fall apart. Um, two of the, those two teams could be in Charlotte at the end of the season, uh, believe it or not. So that's a that's a critical game, uh, however however it may appear. Everybody right. controls their destiny in the uh, what's in the uh, ACC. All right, let's move on to your 1 p.m. Two games are going to kick off in the 1 p.m. slot, Ball State and Eastern Michigan and Akron at Miami of Ohio. Some action for you there. Let's move on to 2 p.m., Troy at Texas State in a uh, Sun Belt showdown. Here's a top 10 matchup, uh, almost. Uh, the number 11 Kentucky Wildcats will be taking on the number one in the country, Georgia Bulldogs. That one is coming on after the Auburn game. So if you're watching the Auburn game, keep it right there on CBS to watch number 11 Kentucky play number one Georgia in Athens. You got Purdue taking on number two in the country, Iowa. That's the ABC game coming on after Cincinnati. So ABC has scored the number three team and the number two team back-to-back on Saturday. Number 19, BYU, will be playing at Baylor. Interesting non-con game for the Bears. Uh, Western Kentucky at ODU. UAB will be traveling to Hattiesburg to take on Southern Miss at 2.30 p.m. Miami at North Carolina in another game that has big championship game implications. 
for the ACC, as well as Pitt at Virginia Tech. Um, you got Toledo at Central Michigan, Bowling Green versus Northern Illinois, Kent State plays Western Michigan, all at 2.30 p.m., Arizona at Colorado, that is going to be in Boulder. you got Fresno at Wyoming. Vanderbilt at South Carolina, two hapless SEC teams will be squaring off at 3 p.m. in Columbia. Texas Tech at Kansas, a potential Kansas win, believe it or not, as Texas Tech has been struggling mightily so far. Rice at UTSA on ESPN Plus in the Alamo Dome. All right, here's, here's one. Alabama, coming off their first loss of the season, will be taking out all of their frustration in the first 6 p.m. game. You can watch it live on ESPN, Davis Wade Stadium, Starkville, Mississippi, as Alabama takes on Mississippi State at 6 p.m. on Saturday. It's going to be a bloodbath, but if Mike Leach is going to beat Alabama, now would be the time to do it. Because yeah. I, I wouldn't mean, that, and talk about flipping cars over. Exactly. I mean, Davis Wade is the only place that Mississippi State stands a chance against Alabama. And I mean, which version of a Nick Saban alpha loss team do we get? Do we get the team that looks to be a mess following the loss, which has only happened like once, right? Or do we get the team that's like, all right, we're going to drop 70 on these fools in the first half, which is what they've done before. So, all right, moving on. Yeah, what you got, Daniel? I'm just glad I'm not a Bulldogs fan. That's all I've got to say on I that. I mean, I'm glad every day, but especially on Saturday. I, I'm glad that I'm not a Bulldogs fan. True. Uh, moving on, we got Liberty at UL Monroe. That's at 6 on ESPN+. Plus. Colorado State at New Mexico, not televised. So good luck watching that one. Uh, you got Utah State at the Running Rebels of UNLV on CBS Sports. TCU at Oklahoma will be the third game on ABC on Saturday. That one is... In Oklahoma, Ole Miss travels to take on Tennessee. Lane Kiffin homecoming on the SEC Network. Number 22, NC State, still undefeated. They will be playing Boston College on the ACC Network up in Chestnut Hill. Iowa State, uh, falling off their rocker, will be taking on Kansas State in a good old-fashioned Big 12 rivalry, 6.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Some Pac-12 before dark, Stanford at Washington State, 6.30 p.m. on ESPNU. Army will be playing Wisconsin on the Big Ten Network. UCLA will be taking on Washington at 7.30 on Fox. You got La Tech will be going to UTEP to play the Miners of UTEP, 8 p.m. ESPN+. Air Force and Boise State, 8 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Pac-12 after dark now. We've got Arizona State at the Utes of Utah. They will be playing at 9 p.m. That's number 18 Arizona State in Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City. That game will be on ESPN under the lights. And then your final game of the night, 9.30 p.m. Mountain West showdown between the Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii and the Nevada Wolfpack. That one's at 9.30 on the CBS Sports Network. And that's going to be your college football scoreboard for Saturday. That is your uh, watching guide. And I think on the other side of a break, we will break down the most interesting matchups, how we think they're going to go, and what you should be watching on Saturday. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in about two minutes with some more compact discourse and some college football chat. We'll be back in about two minutes once again. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Compact Discourse right here on WEGL underscore AU. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at WEGL underscore AU on all three of those platforms. You can listen to our podcast as well. Just search for Compact Discourse on your podcast player of choice. It gets uploaded absolutely PSA break free every day after the show so you don't want to miss it we'll be back pretty soon with some more compact discourse i've got alex i've got daniel don't go anywhere
prosecuted. I want him strung up by his web. I want Alright, welcome back to Compact Discourse right here on WETL 91.1 FM. Good morning, Auburn, and whoever is out there listening today, whether that be on your terrestrial radio, 91.1 FM is the frequency, or you are listening to our web live stream, WETLFM.com. We thank you for doing so. If you want to head on over to the website, WETLFM.com, and check it out. Pretty cool. Um, it's got a listen live button. It's the boom box right there on the front page next to the schedule. You can listen to whatever is playing on WEGL 24 hours a day. We've also got a rolling banner at the top of the screen with all of uh, the exciting shows we got coming up um, <laughs> on the station today. We've got plenty of good shows today. We got at noon, we got Birds Aren't Real with Rio. That is an awesome show about music conspiracy theories uh, with some music drummed in with that one. We got the beat drop coming up at 1 p.m. Scoreboard is at 2. The Eagle's Nest is at 3 p.m. Check that one out with our very own Daniel Locke. At 5 p.m., you got Life at 33 RPM. That has got some great music you probably had never heard before. That one's at 5 p.m. Walker Green's show is at 6 p.m. And then at 7 p.m., you got the one and only Moonlight Madness with Jacob Goins, and that's a sports show. So basically, from you got the rock. We're going to have two hours of rock music after Compact Discourse today, as always. No DJP, sadly, but um, he, he's curated the, the, the playlist from afar. So you're going to hear some good stuff regardless. So two hours of rock music after Compact Discourse, and then basically eight straight hours of awesome Weagle shows from sports to music to stuff you've never heard before. So keep that dial right here on uh, on WEGL from 8 a.m. all the way to 8 p.m. today. We have a, just a stellar lineup. I know I talk a lot about Weagle Wednesdays as a great lineup of shows, but Weagle Thursdays might be even better. I'm just a little biased towards Wednesdays, if I'm being honest with you. All right, we're going to jump right back into things here on WEGL. We've got college football to talk about, and we will start off with the games coming up tomorrow. Um, there is a game tonight, but it is a uh, it is two games tonight. It is Navy and Memphis and South Alabama and Georgia Southern. Neither of those teams are ranked, so we will jump on over to Friday, where the California Golden Bears will be taking on the Ducks of Oregon, who are number nine in the land. They are one and one in Pac-12 play with a four and one overall record. Oregon is favored by 13 and a half points in this one. With an over-under at 54, Chase Garbers is your leading passer in this game. He is 107 of 170 for 1,200 yards and seven tutties on the year. Your rushing leader is C.J. Verdell out of the Ducks of Oregon. He's got 78 carries for 400 yards and six touchdowns. So does Oregon stand any chance of dropping this one tonight, gents? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. Well, you know, that's why they play the games. <laughs> Do you see the spread? I didn't see the spread. It's 13 and a half. Yeah. Eesh. Uh, all right, we'll move on to a game that is a potential for a ranked team to loss, and I believe that is San Diego State heading to the Spartans. It's going to be the Aztecs versus the Spartans. Uh, the San Jose State will be hosting the Aztecs tonight. The undefeated Aztecs, or tomorrow night, rather, will be playing in San Jose. They are only favored by nine points, and... 
the the better quarterback, I think, is lining up for San Jose. That's Nick Starkle. He's almost passed for a thousand yards already and six touchdowns so far in their six games. Uh, San Jose State is three and three, one and one in conference. San Jose San Diego State remains undefeated. I believe in San Diego State. I think you know they've got some huge wins in the past, particularly the win over Utah was massive, and then they've been really good this year. Uh, shout out Brady Hoke, uh, who was once again in head coaching. He seems to be the type of guy that will probably stick at the group of five level for the remainder of his career. I'm not sure if he'll try and go back to the Big Ten. But why would you? That's honestly, it's a good question. Um, I just. I'm going to go with San Diego State on this one. I think, you know, right now, I think next week's game against Air Force is the trap game as they'll probably be looking ahead to Fresno State. But right now, I think their mind is on San Jose State and on getting a win because as as the schedule and the year winds down, will San Diego State fit into that group of five uh, New Year's Six bowl spot? I don't know. It depends on what happens with Cincinnati and the teams ahead of them. But it's certainly an opportunity. BYU has already lost, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, so just something to keep an eye on. But I think I think they're going to win this game. I think it's a good football team that right now the biggest roadblocks are Fresno State and Boise State, but those are both home games for them, including, according to this, a 9.30 a.m. kick against Boise State on November 26th. Which is that game in London? Like no, it's at Dignity Health Sports Park, Carson, California. Maybe that's nine thirty a.m. Central Time. When, which yeah, I don't know. That, that, would, make, that would make it seven thirty yeah. for them. Okay, yeah, you're actually right. That you're right. That doesn't make any sense. Poor guys. Is that well? So uh, if it's if it's nine thirty a.m. their time, then it's eleven thirty Central Time. What it? do you even eat for breakfast if you have to play at nine thirty? Uh, like, a pop tart seven. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think they'll win this game. I think I think there are other roadblocks in the future, but right now they've got their eyes set on this San Jose State team and getting a big win to continue their streak. Bro, but can you imagine how early you'd have to get that day started if you played it? Was it nine thirty? Yes, like that's, you're you're up at three. That's probably. bad. That's you're up bad. at three and pasta and boiled chicken, you know. But I'm very excited also for San Jose or San Diego State building their new stadium after Qualcomm was torn down. Very exciting to see uh, that program get a sort of a facelift with that new stadium. Where are stadium. they playing in the meantime? Uh, they're currently playing at the same place that the Chargers played at, Dignity Health oh, Sports Park. The, uh, the the soccer stadium? Yes, formerly known as Home Depot Center and, and the StubHub Center. Ah, yes. Now it's Dignity Health the Chiefs Sports Park. Home, the Chiefs home game. Yes, uh, the Chiefs, Steelers, you name it, they were there. But. All right, uh, UCF on Saturday is the uh, the first game. Nippert Stadium, Cincinnati, Ohio, is the location. Desmond Ritter will be going for to improve on his 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns so far on the season. Cincinnati favored in this one by 21. Yes, uh, I think it's important to mention in this regard, Mackenzie Milton, current quarterback for Florida State, says he doesn't believe Cincinnati could beat 2017 UCF, 2017 USF, and 2017 Memphis. He believes those three teams are all better than Cincinnati. He also said, quote, uh, uh, USF and Memphis were tougher opponents than Auburn was for 2017 UCF. That is, I'm sorry, Alex. The look on Jack's heart, Jack's heart, the look on Jack Hart's face a second ago said it all. Mackenzie Milton, yeah, he said that, and I want to pull up the official tweet so I can quote him directly because I would not want to be wrong in any way i just totally typed his name in wrong which is not going to get me the uh his actual name one second yeah so alec pierce is your leading receiver for the for the bearcats he has 21 receptions for 387 and two touchdowns and jerome ford is your leading rusher for the bearcats 82 for 520 and eight touchdowns to boot 
And uh, that one is UCF has a 3-2 and two record so far. They've already lost a conference game. Cincinnati has just played in one conference game, and they won it to continue their 5-0 and o campaign, looking to improve to 6-0 and o at 11 a.m. Central Time on Saturday. Yeah, that, I just I, I had to share that because I had seen that yesterday. But I think I think Cincinnati's got this one in the bag against UCF. So a team a lot of people are not talking about is Michigan State, who is kind of getting boxed out by the likes of Michigan, Ohio, and Penn State in the Big Ten East. Uh, not kind of an afterthought at this point, and I think Vegas agrees because number ten Michigan State already have won three conference games in the Big Ten are only favored by four and a half when they travel to Bloomington to take on the two and three Indiana, who is winless in conference play. Indiana's definitely had a tough year um, this season after last year's bright moment. I would call it that. And I don't see them turning the or riding the ship anytime soon. I think last year was a good step in the right direction, but the rebuild is going to take longer than that. So I, I got to take Michigan State. We've got Oklahoma State 5-0, 2-0 in Big 12 play. They are traveling to DKR to take on Texas, who is uh, coming off a big loss to Oklahoma last weekend. Uh, they are 2-1 in Big 12 play with a 4-2 overall record. Your leading passer in this one is Casey Thompson, Texas quarterback. He is 74 for 110, about 1,100 passing yards, and 14 touchdowns. Wow. Five um, five point Texas favorited in this one over under at sixty. Expect a lot of points. I don't think. I mean, look, I, I don't know how Texas wins this game. To be honest, I think it's certainly a roadblock in DKR, but they are ice cold coming off an absolute dud, the worst loss in Texas history, technically. And if you look at it in the way of the fact they gave up a twenty one point lead, the largest lead they've ever given up in history. That is a hundred and twenty five year history, for that matter. I don't know how you get this team motivated to play against a good Oklahoma State team, an Oklahoma State team that has everything in front of them. They have a they have a home game against Oklahoma. They got Bedlam at Stillwater, an opportunity to win the Big 12. Of course, they've got a lot of steps to get there, including a win in Ames, Iowa the next week. But I don't see how Texas wins this game. I Do I believe Texas is the better football team? Maybe. But their performance against Oklahoma was pathetic. And I, I, I find it difficult for them to bounce back this week against a good Oklahoma State team. You know, anyone who listens to the Eagles' nest knows that we rock with Spencer Sanders, and I think he gets it done. Definitely. Good deal. All right, game of the week for us, Auburn University traveling over to Fayetteville to play number 17-ranked Arkansas Razorbacks. K.J. Jefferson, your leading passer in this one, 1,200 yards for nine touchdowns. Leading rusher, Jarquez Hunter, 47 for 465 and three house calls. Arkansas favored in this one by four and a half. This is the difference between an 8-4 and four season and a 6-6 six and six season for Auburn because South Carolina and Mississippi State are both certainly winnable games down the road. That, in my opinion, will not change on that unless they get completely slaughtered this Saturday, which I don't think they will. But this right now is the difference between if they win this game, then you got two weeks to prepare for a home game, possibly a night game against Ole Miss, a chance to win that one. Then you got to go to college station. There's a lot more ahead of them. But if they look bad again this week and the offense shows no progress, looking at you, wide receiver group, as bad as you've been. And not to mention, you know, Jack, we talked about on Monday, you don't like to use the transitive property in football. Nobody does. But this is not a transitive property in the point that Arkansas has no run defense. It's not one bad running game like LSU against Kentucky. Florida, or not Florida. Georgia and Ole Miss ran all over the Razorbacks, back-to-back weeks. 
Ole Miss, I think, had 390 yards rushing, if I'm not mistaken. Or some somewhere in the 300 range, at least. Auburn needs to run the football, and I think that's why this game is a benchmark, not for just can you win the game, can you establish the run? Harson said he'd want to do that every single week. Can they do it against a bad rush defense, and can they win this game? Because this is definitely, I would say, the crossroads between Birmingham Bowl and the Gator Bowl, the Outback, Outback Bowl. Bowl yeah. yeah, I mean, legitimately, that that's which is not by no means a low low tier game, and especially with the way the SEC is structured. I mean, go even higher due to how the SEC might get two teams in the year six. You don't know, but this is this is a crucial game for Auburn and for the Brian Harson era to start the season or to you know to start off with the first season and make some progress. But that's definitely where I see. And do I think Auburn wins? I don't know. Arkansas's looked bad these past uh, few weeks, to be honest. No run defense. I don't think their offense is as great as it, a lot of people think it is. Mm-hmm. So Auburn has a chance to win this game, but they've got to show progress. The offensive line has to show progress and look like they can actually block people running the football. And the wide receivers need to do their jobs. Yeah, hasn't happened yet. The defense needs to show up as well because True. if you can if you can take a team that scored with ease last week, put up 51, uh, could have easily beaten an Ole Miss team on, uh, off a two-point conversion, and you you know hold them to, to 10 points in the first half, they're going to get frustrated and they're going to get out of yep. sync. I mean, you can't come in being used to scoring 50, and they've scored a lot of points in the past few weeks and, and shut them down. They're going to have they're, they're going to be uncomfortable and they're going to be off kilter, and you have exactly. to use that to your advantage. And Ho- I, hopefully sorry. force some turnovers. And I think the key is the offense cannot leave the defense out to dry like it did against Georgia. A lot of lot of defensive stops returned with three and outs for Auburn. And I think Arkansas is going to be attacking the big plays because that's what Auburn cannot stop. Because Auburn has faced the realization that I think a lot of fans have faced. None of their cornerbacks can stop a guy one on one. They cannot blitz. And that's what that's where Georgia's score was on the big plays last week. So stopping that will be the key for the Auburn defense and the Auburn offense showing up as well. If Damn. you want to use Georgia as like a comparing point. Auburn played Georgia a lot tougher than Arkansas did. Mm-hmm. That's true. They scored on them. Um, so if you just want to go with that, I think Auburn gets it done. Auburn gets it done, according to Daniel. All right, two minutes. We will be back for the final segment of the show today and the final segment of the week. No telling what will be discussed on the other side of this break, so don't go anywhere. FM 91. Mike Lee Morning Show. Switch. Welcome back to Combat Discourse right here on WEGL 91.1 FM. We are not the Mike Lee Morning Show, unfortunately, but we are a Compact Discourse. Those vintage station IDs brought to you by archive.org. We are celebrating 50 years here on WEGL as the station was founded in 1971, 50 years ago. And we are celebrating the legacy of Auburn's only student-run radio station. And that is the Big 91, WEGL 91.1 FM. All right. I think we uh we bored ourselves with college football last segment, so we'll jump right into the professional slate, and uh, I will just give you a quick rundown of what's happening this week in the National Football League, and we will jump right into whatever piques our interest. All right, let's get after it. Tonight we got Tampa Bay at Philadelphia. Tickets as low as a hundred dollars. <laughs> if you want to watch Tampa, ter- Tom Terrific and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on. 
the Philadelphia Eagles in the link. That one's at 7.20 Central Time in Philly. That one's going to be on Fox and the NFL Network. All right, on Sunday, October 17th, Miami taking on an in-state opponent for the second straight week, except it's going to be in London. Uh, Miami and Jacksonville, 8.30 in the morning. Set your alarms for CBS Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in jolly old England for the Jacksonville Jaguars or the future London Jaguars taking on the Dolphins of Miami. All right, divisional game, Green Bay at Chicago, 12 p.m. noon, Fox in Chicago, Cincinnati and Detroit. Will Detroit get a win? Uh, Ford Field, that one's at noon on Fox as well. Houston at Indianapolis, CBS, noon game as well. You got L.A. at the Giants of New York, that one's at noon on Fox. KC will be bouncing back after a devastating loss on Sunday Night Football against Alex's Washington football team on CBS. That one's at noon as well. The Minnesota Vikings will be playing the Carolina Panthers in Bank of America Stadium. That one's at noon on Fox as well. You can watch Los Angeles Chargers versus the Baltimore Ravens. That one's at noon on CBS live from Baltimore. You've also got the Arizona Cardinals looking to remain undefeated against the Cleveland Browns. That's a 3 p.m. game in First Energy Stadium. you got the Las Vegas Raiders dealing with all kinds of internal turmoil. They will look to get a win against the Denver Broncos and Teddy Bridgewater, 3.30 on CBS at Mile High. Dallas Cowboys will be taking on the New England Patriots, probably America's game of the week if I had to guess, um, as everyone's two favorite teams will be going at it in Foxborough at 3.30. All right, Seattle and Pittsburgh, a Super Bowl 45 rematch, the one in 2006, that's what I remember. Uh, Matt Hasselbeck, uh, that team, will be uh, rematching with the Pittsburgh Steelers in Heinz Field. That's your Sunday night game on NBC, 7.30 p.m. if you want to catch that one. And then your Monday game on ESPN in Nissan Stadium, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the Buffalo Bills who had a big primetime win last week. We'll be looking to get another big primetime win this week as they take on the Titans of Tennessee, 7 p.m. Central Time on Monday night for Monday Night Football. And that is your uh, NFL scoreboard for week six. Spectacular. What, uh, what are we feeling about? What, 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 what jumps out to you? The Chiefs are going to drop 70 on Washington. Oh? It's much like how Alabama. Um, yes. Uh, uh, is going to need to need to let off some steam against Mississippi State. You think it's going to be the same situation? I think it's going to be the exact same situation. To be honest, I I really wouldn't doubt it. So I just I will not be watching the game. I'll be covering a uh, soccer game for my reporting class, which will also be broadcast on WGL ninety one point one FM. Auburn soccer versus Florida. I'll That's be right. In studio for that. There you Florida. go. We have a big weekend of sports here on WEGL. We've got uh, Auburn's baseball game. Uh, their fall ball game against Tuskegee. It's an exhibition game. It's going to be Friday evening at 6.30. We've also got uh, volleyball. Mizzou is coming to Auburn Arena. That'll be at 4 on Saturday. I'll be in studio for that as well. Okay. If you want to hear Daniel's uh, you know, SEC volleyball report, that's right here on WGL. And then, yeah, on Sunday, you got the Florida Gators coming to the Plains to take on your ranked Auburn soccer team. Uh, in an exciting matchup, that's noon on Sunday. And all of those are here on WEGL 91.1 FM as a presentation of WEGL Sports. All right, back to the NFL. Um, I'm looking at this Arizona-Cleveland game. That's going to be crazy. Because Arizona is a very good team, and I would like them to remain undefeated for a little while longer. I'm excited for this one. 
I just I don't, I don't know how good Cleveland is. They look really good against Kansas City week one, but they've been really inconsistent for the rest of the season. No, I don't know how I'm kind of out. I'm I got out on Cleveland. I mean, the NFL has been inconsistent across the board. The New Orleans Saints beat the Packers, then lost to the New York Giants. I mean, the New York Giants have lost to everybody. The Panthers were great and then lost to the Jets. Sorry to pour salt in the wound there, but that I mean that we're we're still waiting to figure they out what the heck the, is going they on. They lost to the Eagles, Alex. Oh. Nobody loses to the Jets. Sorry, I don't know why I thought the Jets that's my mistake. I apologize. And who could who could have thought that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs would have a losing record at this point? Exactly. I mean, sure, they did run into the Buffalo Bills, who I think are the future Super Bowl champions, but just it's been a strange year right now. And Lots of parody, and I think the fact that the Arizona Cardinals have been able to come out of five weeks with, without a blemish is, uh, is very telling of the talent level on that team. Unlike the, the Broncos, who had a 3-0 record despite being one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, because they, they had beaten they were probably three the, teams that were 0-3. They were probably the fourth best team in the NFL, or, or fourth worst team in the NFL. I mean, and they, yeah. They, and they had beaten the three teams below them. I was about to say, they, they, that, that, that scheduling is going to come back to bite Bronc- the Broncos, and Broncos fans are going to be upset about that because they very well might not win many games again, and I'm sure they would have liked a better draft pick instead of getting three basically automatic wins over crappy teams. All right, how crazy would it be is – is if Jacksonville tweets, you know, not satisfied with 1-0 after they start the season 1-0 last season, proceed to lose 21 straight games, and then travel to London and beat the Dolphins. There's no way that's going to happen. Do they just, they just stay? They just stay there? Like, that's, I mean, our, that's our new home? We're in London I mean, now? I mean, sure. they, I mean, they may leave Urban Meyer there, but I don't know if the, I don't know if the team will stay there. Okay. Urban might get a little distracted at some of the fun pubs in London. I don't know, but it's difficult to <laughs> I say. I don't know if any pubs are named after him there. Though. That's true. It's, di- to, it's might difficult. might not know how to act. It's difficult. He, he, may, he may go and name one after himself there anyway, but uh, it's difficult to say. But, I mean, Jacksonville is bad. The, te- the team was already bad. People are overreacting to the Urban Meyer tenure, except the fact that, I mean, He's made a lot of very stupid decisions that are outside of the parameters of performance, such as drafting Travis Etienne then saying, oops, wish I hadn't had him. That's a great thing to say to your rookie first-round draft pick. Genius idea, Urban. Genius. My favorite was when he brought in Tim Tebow to play tight end. That was like a favor to his friend. He's like, hey, Tim, you want 1000 bucks to be terrible at your job? Here, go ahead. I get paid a lot to be bad at my job, too. Yeah, Urban uh, is not good, and the team is not good itself. Will they turn it around? Maybe. One of these days. But the fact of the matter is, is that Trevor Lawrence is going to be nearing David Carr territory at some point. Do I think Trevor Lawrence is a better quarterback than David Carr? Yeah, but being on a terrible team that can't protect you turns you into David Carr, which is what happened. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on as well. Just chaos for Jacksonville, and they're not going to beat Miami because Miami's a good team. They're not a bad. I mean, they're not. They're not a great team. Is Miami a playoff team? I'm honestly not even sure at this point because Tua Tagovailoa is apparently coming back. Apparently, I don't. Know if that's like completely confirmed, but he's listed as getting points uh, on fantasy football on the ESPN app. But My- Miami's a significantly better team, despite the shutout loss to the Bills. They only had a three-point overtime loss to the Raiders. A not terrible game against the Colts, and I just think they're an objectively better team than Jacksonville. But looking across the standings right now, it really is crazy to me that the Denver Broncos are tied for second in the AFC West and presumably going to get first place because there's no way the Raiders win games, right? Like, there's no way they find ways to win with the John Gruden nonsense in second place. how much is that going to affect the on-field performance? I mean, 
you lose your head coach. It's like it's not it's not the controversy. If he was still there, it's different. He's not there anymore. It's like a cloud hanging over the team. I don't know how how, how it's got to affect it. It's like it's like when you have a lame duck coach. Same thing. Now they just don't even have one. But, so you know, don't te- teams win with interim coaches? Don't they? I mean, they have. Do I think they will win now? No, to be honest, I don't. I think. Like last year, Falcons looked great once they got rid of Dan Quinn. That's true, but that's because Dan Quinn is terrible. Yeah. John Gruden wasn't terrible. All right, I did say yesterday that I think Dan Quinn could be the next coach of the Raiders, though. He shouldn't be. But he's and he's doing so well on the Cowboys. He should not be allowed near a head coaching position again. He's not good. At, like, there's guys who are just not good. at Kevin Steele is not a head coach. We all liked Kevin Steele, great defensive coordinator. He was terrible at Baylor, and he shouldn't be a coach again. Same, same thing with a lot of guys. McDonald's like, bags. Yes. Funny. But I don't think Dan Quinn should ever be a head coach for a long time. All right. And with that, uh, we will await the announcement that he will become the next Raiders head coach. No! And uh, that's going to do it for our show today. So thank you to everyone who listened to the show today. Um, thank you. hope you're enjoying your wonderful month of October so far. So I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to let you have a great weekend, but, uh... And a ghost will follow you home. <laughs> you like that, Alex? I, I did. I must admit, I didn't have my headphones on. I did not hear half of it, but I liked it. Excellent news. All right, and with all seriousness, I am going to let you have a wonderful weekend, and we're going to get out of here for this week's episode and this week's full uh, breadth of shows So that is going to do it for Compact Discourse. Thank you so much for listening to this exciting episode right here on WEGL 91.1 FM, however you joined us today. Whether that be from your terrestrial radio antenna, wigglefm.com, or by listening to our podcast, you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Compact Discourse. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at CDiscAU, that's C-D-I-S-C-A-U, and we will get information about the show, uh, links to that podcast, and important updates, including if we are not going to have a show or if we're having technical difficulties and need to start late. So you can join the show by uh, tweeting at us, at CDiscAU. We'd love to get your opinion on the show. And uh, we can follow Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere you can find at WEGL underscore AU. Drop them a follow. That's our social media, and we'd love to have you following us. And for that, for Jack Hart, for Daniel Locke, Alex Houston, Davis Carroll, and Bay Marks, thank you for another exciting week of Compact Discourse. And as always, go 1-0, War Eagle. And uh, we'll hope we get a big win on Saturday against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Is this haunted room actually stretching?